We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Yes, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. This is Evidence of Design. I'm Jason Taylor, and I'm joined in WXIR's studios by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell. Hi. And Mary Lawrence. Good morning. It is Saturday, November 7th, twenty. We are live in WXIR studios. Happy election week. Happy election day, because the election day doesn't seem to have ended yet. What an election we just went through. Oh, boy, folks. Went through implies past times. We're still going through. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably going through still. (laughs) Indeed. We'll be going through the election for quite some time. I think we're going to go through COVID-19 for quite some time. It's going to be 2020 by the time we still talk about COVID-19, probably. And so we're going to have to settle into uh, long-term trends, and that's okay, because that's what life is about, is settling into things. On today's show, we want to talk about the election, of course. We put out a survey to hear from folks what is on your mind what are you optimistic about what are you worried about we put it out there to hear from you as a reminder you can always stay up to date with evidence of design throughout the week on our twitter handle at radio eod or on our uh, facebook at also the page radio eod so we'll be going through the responses to uh, what folks share with us we have around 25 different opinions on how the survey is going yeah actually i was just gonna say i just checked and we have a whopping 34 responses Holy shnikes, I just refreshed my page. You are not lying. Yeah, um, I'm glad. That you got to refresh the page as often as you got to refresh the New York Times or NPR or wherever else to see how many votes Joe Biden has. <laughs> so <laughs> things change by the hour. So, yeah, we're going to go through all those responses. Big shout-outs to everyone who participated. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. By the way, you can share your thoughts with us right now live by giving us a call at 585 219 Eight, nine. Call us at any time throughout the hour. Did you vote? What are you worried about? What are you optimistic about? What's on your mind regarding 2020 general election? 585-219-8889. Mary, let's start as we always do with the latest COVID-19 facts and figures. COVID-19 is still here. It'll be with us for a while and it's getting worse locally and nationally. The virus is the worst it's ever been in the United States. Is that right, Mary? Let us know what's going on. Uh, It certainly is correct to say that. So just to give a uh, general idea, currently worldwide, there are about 50 million cases. Um, That's not active cases. That's 50 million cases since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, worldwide, about 1.25 million people have died from coronavirus. Everyone else in that number has survived in some way, although we don't yet know what lasting symptoms people will have, even if they survived COVID-19. Um, in the United States, about 10 million cases have been reported, again, since the beginning of the pandemic. 
which one thing we have to note here is that just last week we had reported our nine millionth case, which means yeah. in the last week there have been there's been an increase of one million cases. And again, that was nine million from the beginning of the pandemic. That's yeah. a huge, huge, huge week because it is on the rise pretty much everywhere in the United States. A little over 240,000 people have died from COVID-19 in U.S. And this is not something, you know, a little while ago, a few weeks ago, we were saying this is something that's bad in the United States in general, but in Monroe County, we're doing pretty well. That's not really the case anymore. Uh, last week, Monroe County had its highest case count to date. And it was around 90 at the time. It was, no, we had, last week we had our high of 134 cases. Okay. So that was the highest day since, you know, the whole pandemic, pandemic. had happened. Right. Um, this week, you know, just yesterday, there were 174 new confirmed cases in Monroe County. Uh, the seven-day rolling average, so that's the average of the past seven days, uh, is now 117 cases. So wow. our average has really, really jumped. Mm-hmm. And... That's a positivity rate of about 2.9%. That means 2.9% of the Monroe County population is infected or has been infected uh, with COVID-19. So this is now really something that we have to be aware of in Monroe County. We really have to think about, you know, how many people you're seeing, how you're interacting with others. And we know that coronavirus fatigue is real, and it's been a very long time that we've been dealing with this, but we still have to be really wary. And especially right now, as numbers are starting to climb, we have to pay attention to to how we're interacting with others. Yeah, there there is community spread in Monroe County. There's widespread community spread across the entire country. And, uh, you know, Dr. Michael Mendoza came on yesterday in his daily briefing and he said, you know, we can't, we can't have COVID fatigue. <laughs> you know, people are fatigued of COVID fatigue. And that's true. But, you know, we, we can't let that get in the way of keeping people safe. So keep wearing masks, keep practicing social distancing. We're going into a winter. Could be a long, dark winter. We're going into a winter with flu season. Uh, you know, we don't want hospitals to fill up to prevent people from getting care that they need. Uh, right now in Europe, hospitals are more crowded than they've ever been. And, and we don't want that to happen locally because people need care. People need health care, not just for COVID, but for any other reason. And we want to make sure that doctors and nurses are protected. We can do that by keeping down the rates of COVID-19. And we also want to make sure that people can get their health care when they need it. And we can do that by preventing the hospitals from being filled up with COVID-19 patients. So let's continue to uh, persevere through this and continue to practice social distancing and wearing a mask because COVID-19 is out there. It's worse than ever. So our fatigue should be, you know, we, we should try to redouble ourselves better than ever. And uh, it will go away if we practice the things we need to practice. That's our COVID-19 facts and figures. Let's keep on keeping on. It's going to be with us a while. So let's be persistent, folks. Let's be patient. Let's look out for one another. We can do this. We can do this. Let's give it a try. So this is the election 2020 episode on 100.9 FM WXIR. You're listening to Evidence of Design. We're talking about the 2020 general election, and we want to hear from you throughout the hour at 585-219-8889. Again, 585-219-8889. Right after a short break, we're going to jump into a survey we heard from around 35 folks who let us know what's on their mind in terms of the election. What are they optimistic about? 
What are they worried about? Thank you all to those who participated. We'll be right back to jump into that. Hang on. Train in vain by The Clash. And this is Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Thank you for tuning in. Let's talk about the 2020 general election. Oh boy, folks. Uh, so we'll get into our own feedback on it in the later half of the hour. We first want to prioritize the feedback and perspectives of others. We put a poll out there to see from folks what's on your mind when it comes to the 2020 general election. We got 34 responses, 100% of those folks. So all of them did vote in the 2020 general election. And for their party affiliation, three quarters were uh, tend to support the Democratic Party. Around 10% tend to support the Republican Party, and around 15% tend to support others. So of the folks who responded to the survey, most tend to support the Democratic Party, just to put that out there. We asked three main questions. How do you feel today compared to how you felt before the election? What are you optimistic about looking ahead? And also, looking ahead, what are you worried about? So we're going to get into uh, just sharing some other folks' responses about this. I think we should just also note that we put this survey out first on Thursday evening. So the responses range from having responded on Thursday evening to this morning, as recently as this morning. So the responses may be a little different based on when people responded, but it was generally the later half of this week. Right. And so as, uh, you know, just the briefest preliminary election results, so we're all in the same context, uh, Joe Biden appears to be the one who will win the presidency. He appears to be ahead in, uh, you know, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. Donald Trump appears to be ahead in uh, North Carolina and also Alaska with all the states that have already been called and with the states that have yet to be called. And that's why I'm using the word appears, although it, it seems pretty obvious. Uh, it, it looks like Joe Biden will win the presidency. Democrats lost seats in the House. It appears so. The Democrats will still have the majority in the House of Representatives, but they lost seats overall. And the Senate is tougher to call. Uh, the Democrats might have picked up maybe one or so seat, but the Republicans look like they will still control the Senate. It all comes down to what will likely be a runoff election in Georgia to decide the two seats, Senate seats in Georgia. And with if Democrats pick up those two Senate seats, they would have 50 seats in the House with a tiebreaker with Kamala Harris's vote as, as VP. Right. The likelihood of that happening, historically, Democrats do not do well in runoff elections. Right. It seems like a long shot at this point. Right. And 50 seats in the Senate, just just to be clear. You, you, you said House, but the, the point is totally on there where, yeah, 50 seats in the Senate. And according to the Constitution, the vice president would serve as the tiebreaker. That happens very infrequently. And you're right, Matt, you know, it's too early to say who would win there, but it doesn't look super like, you know, Democrats shouldn't be dancing in the street rejoicing over the idea of taking the Senate. It doesn't look super, super favorable. So with that context being there, let's talk about what other what's on the uh, minds of folks. So we asked folks, you know, how do you feel today, right now, or Thursday, or whenever folks completed the survey, compared to before the election? Running theme is anxiety. One person said, I'm anxious. I keep checking the election trackers, and there's just not the definitive information that I want to see just yet. 
uh, somebody else said, more anxious. Even though I expected the lengthy counting process, I want the margins to be wider in Biden's favor, at least. Yes. More anxious after the election. Dang it. <laughs> and next one, still very anxious. I don't know that I'll feel better until Trump is actually gone. Hmm. A mixture of numbness and momentary spikes of anxiety. But overall, about the same level of anxiety as before. I'm relieved that it looks like Trump will no longer be in office. Uh, the same, both bad? <laughs> Someone else said, I feel sure that the high voter turnout was a rejection of Trump, but I'm actually incredibly disappointed that it was a lot of enthusiasm for Trump as well. Let's talk about that. So this, this 2020 general election is the record for the highest voter turnout ever in American history, modern political American history, at least as far as we can tell. Uh, over 150 million people seems to have voted so far. You know, Joe Biden is ahead in the popular uh, vote. He is around 74 million. Trump is around 70 million. Last election, for context, Hillary Clinton won with around, or Hillary Clinton lost with around 63 million votes. Trump got around 60 million votes. We should say that in terms of the trends that have been appearing in presidential elections, more and more people typically vote each year. And that's not surprising because our population, especially our voting population, is growing. In addition, the coronavirus pandemic, um, I think has played a very large role in seeing the larger numbers that we have seen in this election so far in that, you know, a lot of states sort of changed their laws uh, ahead of the election in order to make mail-in ballots and vo early voting more accessible to people. And also just the fact that a lot of people have are still unemployed. They uh, have lost their jobs. And so they don't really have that sort of commitment keeping them from appearing on election day. Right. And there is more opportunities to vote and ever, just to reiterate, in terms of absentee voting, early voting. Yeah. So, you know, huge voter turnout. A lot of folks projected that a huge voter turnout was better for Democrats because we know, at least going off of, well, uh, traditional, um, you know, political science, that higher voter turnout means Democrats tend to win. Less voter turnout means Republicans tend to lose. And that tells you all you need to know about the two parties. But... Less um, voter turnout means Republicans tend to win. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, less voter turnout means Republicans tend to win. Republicans often want to suppress the vote such that they can win elections. Again, that tells you all you need to know about the two parties. The problem, you know, a lot of a lot of folks were saying, wow, look at this turnout. This might be the blue wave for Democrats. That didn't materialize. Wasn't no blue wave, folks. <laughs> Wasn't no blue wave. And we'll get to that. But this is, uh, you know, this isn't great where Donald Trump got 9 million more votes so far than he got last election. More people came out and said, yeah, I want that guy. I want that guy because he's, he's doing the right thing. I want that guy. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of I get this person's point saying, you know, yeah, I was excited about the high voter turnout, but I'm actually disappointed that a lot of it, the turnout was also enthusiasm for Trump. Do we want to continue down this? Yeah. Uh, one response to how do you feel today compared to how you felt before the election? I'm more comfortable with the election results as they roll in, but I'm dreading the aftermath either way. Hmm. Yeah, one. Oh, sorry. Do you have a comment on that? Hmm. No. Oh, no. one that's related. Uh, I feel much better as it appears Biden will win. However, I feel a lot of anxiety as Trump will not easily leave and will deliberately cause chaotic disruption on his way out. So that's sort of that same feeling of like... 
dreading the aftermath. We have seen some of that with uh, the various legal challenges that Trump and his uh, his campaign team and lawyers have posed in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. The overall consensus from what I've read about these legal challenges is that they will go virtually nowhere. And the sort of chances that we will see, for instance, a Supreme Court weighing in on who won the election are like less than zero. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, this was the whole point of getting people to turn out and vote, right? Joe Biden had to win by a large enough margin such that Trump couldn't convince people otherwise. You know, the picture had to be clear enough such that when you showed the picture to someone, it wasn't uh, one of those Rorschach tests to say one person sees this, another person sees that. That was the whole point of trying to get out the vote and trying to convince people who thinks that your vote doesn't matter. No, it does vote. Oh, if you want to vote for Joe Biden and you're a Democrat in New York State, you should still vote for Joe Biden as a Democrat in New York State just to add in your tally to the, uh, the the popular vote, right? Joe Biden, it's unfortunate that we live in a political world where one candidate needs to win by a large enough margin to, for people to believe that that candidate won. But that's where we're at, because we know that Donald Trump is going to try to obfuscate the results. We know that Donald Trump is going to lie about the results. We know that Donald Trump will use the leverage that he has in the courts. And we know that Donald Trump will work off of the Republicans' history of trying to throw out ballots or say some ballots count and other ballots don't to, uh, you know, skew public perception of the results. We knew all of that, which is really sad. And, you know, Joe Biden seems to be winning by, I would say, just enough, barely enough to have people realize that, no, it, lo- it really does look like Joe Biden won this election. There are still people out there who disagree. Trump's sons and Trump himself and all Giuliani and well, all that. that was gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, that was always going to happen. You know, Trump could have lost by, uh, you know, it could be 90 to 10. Trump could have said the same thing that it was unfair. But, yeah. Um, I had a point I wanted to bring up. Well, I think you ha- you have seen, going off that, Jason, you have seen pushback from some pretty key Republican figures like Mitch McConnell and Mark Rubio saying things like, you know, in, in reference to Trump saying that, you know, he had these huge leads in states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, and now they're just disappearing and sort of alleging that it was it's because of voter fraud or, or some sort of scheme without providing any evidence, I might add to uh, support that accusation. And then you have Mitch McConnell saying things like, we need to count every vote, we need to ensure the... um, the, we need to assure the public in in their faith in our election system. And so, I mean, I think one of the reasons why you might be seeing that is because Mitch McConnell has already gotten what he wants from Trump. Mm -hmm. He already has all of... He has a a 6-3... Supreme Court majority for at least the next, you know, 10 years. Generations. <clears throat> he has appointed hundreds of uh, justices to the lower courts. A third of all federal judges are Trump appointees and Mitch McConnell's appointees. And and in, and in some in, in some ways it it's almost beneficial for Mitch McConnell to be done with Trump at this point because now he can blame Joe Biden and Democrats for the coronavirus pandemic yep. and and continue to uh you know obstruct any sort of um legislative measures that the democrats try to pass because republicans will in all likelihood although it's too early to say for sure but it seems likely that the republicans will maintain control of the senate 
Right. And I want to jump off that point and just remind folks that you're tuned into 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. You're listening to Evidence of Design. We're talking about the 2020 general election results as they are now. We're projecting implications for the future. You too can participate by giving us a call at 585-219-8889, 585-219-8889. Matt, what a powerful point. We've seen Republicans bend over backwards to uh, you know, be acquiescent towards Donald Trump. Republicans have zero backbone when it came to the Trump presidency. The only Republican to to you know vote to impeach Donald Trump um, was Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. And it's just, you know, the Republican Party has been Trump's party because the Republican establishment has seen Trump do things that are convenient for them. Two things. Trump has accomplished two things for the Republican establishment. One, federal judges and Supreme Court. You brought that up, Matt. Two, tax cut. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 was a disaster, I think, for, for the country for a million reasons. And Republicans got what they wanted out of Donald Trump. Tax cuts and justices. Both of those things are slated to last years. Tax cuts at least till 2025, although the corporate tax cut is forever until Congress changes it again. So they got it for generations until somehow we change it back. Or the justices will last generations because they serve for life, both federally and Supreme Court, and they're non-elected. So, it, yeah, it's important, I think, to note that these are not small victories. Mm. This, huge. this is huge. And, um, you know, I think much has been made of Trump's character, and I think that's honestly, like, more people are upset with, like, just how Trump talks than what his actually policy measures are. I mean, he doesn't really have, I would not say that he has, like, a coherent sort of political um, agenda. agenda. He's sort of, like, I mean, you know, it's pretty apparent, I think, that whatever he wants to do on a, on an executive level is... Uh, just uh, according to whatever mood he's in right. at the time. But from a general policy standpoint, he has supported traditional Republican measures. And so now that they the Republicans have achieved these two um, huge um, victories, the I, I imagine that they're <laughs> some of them are maybe as tired of Trump's antics as we are uh, on this show, and they simply are ready to move on to the next figurehead. Yeah, I mean, how many leaks came out over the Trump presidency from all, you know, people who formerly worked for him, but also Republicans, uh, you know, who, who don't go out on record? What, what Ben Sass, I forgot where he's from, but he's the most famous example of a Republican senator who was caught in a phone call to his supporters saying this guy's a, a farce, you know, saying that about Donald Trump. This is coming from a Republican. You know, Republicans hate Trump. They can't stand him. He's a headache for them. You know, Republican establishment figures. He's a headache. They're constantly groaning every time he tweets something that's blatantly racist or, you know, taking American troops out and weakening our, our foreign policy, all that stuff. Yeah, Republican establishment hates Trump. And so they're happy to see him go. And Matt, you're totally right. Here it comes with the Biden presidency is that they're going to blame a weak economy on Joe Biden. This is uh, one thing I would love America to wake up about is the party's responses to the economy. And I am not a huge fan about democratic economics, and we'll talk about that later on. But it's much better than Republicans, at least to some small amount. I know I have very leftist friends who disagree with me on that, but I'll take a Democrat 
you know, economic policy any day over Republican one. Um, so, you know, people, uh, Trump claimed economic victory over the largest economic expansion in America in modern history, the so-called largest expansion, which he inherited from Obama, right? Trump didn't turn the economy around. It was on the trajectory from what Obama did after the 2008 Great Recession, which, by the way, I think Obama handled that very poorly. I wish he had much more leftist things happen, but at least the economy recovered in a so-called traditional sense. And Trump claimed victory on that. Trump made the American economy strong. No, look at the graph over time. The line projected out, right? Trump rode the wave. And now Obama, or sorry, Biden inherits a poor economy. The midterms come around in 2022. Republicans will be criticizing and lambasting Democrats for saying the economy is destroyed and it stinks. And they should vote Democrats out because they have no idea what to do with the economy. That's what's going to happen. Um, Obama inherited the worst economic crisis in modern American history from George Bush. And, and the greedy, you know, Wall Street financiers backed by Republican policies. And it happens every time where Democrats fix the economy and Republicans destroy it. It happens every time. Election after election. It happened with Carter with stagflation in the 70s. Reagan inherits it. You know, it happens every single time. And then Republicans say, you know, we're going we're gonna to boost the economy by cutting taxes. And sure, it might boost the economy in a really narrow traditional sense in the moment. Like, great, now businesses have more money to spend on their employees, which doesn't happen. We well, saw now that businesses have more money to grant incentives to their CEOs right, and, so stock, and shareholders. shareholders. That's all it does. Yep. So Republicans inherit an economy that is strengthened by Democrats and they pass tax cuts to... Um, say they're going to boost it even more, and then it ends up destroying the economy over the long term. And voters don't see that because we're not taught to see how the economy actually works. It's too complicated, and Republicans are masters of using the language and convincing people that Republicans know how the economy works, and they're strong, and they can control the economy. Democrats, they're weak. They're snowflakes. They don't know how, how the economy works. You know, a bunch of losers. And this happens every single time. So, yeah, we're, we're totally going to see uh, see this happen to Joe Biden. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going slightly off the tangent here to, to, to talk about our survey responses, but there's so much to get into. And I, um, wh why don't we talk about for some folks how uh, they what, what are some folks optimistic about <laughs> when it comes to responses? So, again, we serve we put a survey out on our Twitter and Facebook handles, Radio EOD. Thirty four people responded and we're sharing some of their responses on air. You can also let us know. Your personal response is, what do you think about the 2020 general election? By giving us a call at 585-219-8889, 585-219-8889. This is Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR. So in terms of uh, one respondent, what are they optimistic about looking ahead for the future? They say, look, I'm still hoping that people will experience a wake-up call and decide they support Medicare for All wealth taxes, and so on. I'm not optimistic that's realistic. I'm not um, sure that that's realistic, but I'm at least you know trying to be optimistic that that will happen. If anything could have initiated that optimism, I thought it would be the COVID-19 pandemic, but, well, we'll see. If Biden is elected, I like his health care plans. Regardless of who wins, I also think that the last four years really woke us up to the importance of the House and Senate. So I'm hopeful for more civic engagement in the future. I'm optimistic that maybe things can start actually getting fixed, that we can have real change in our society, especially in terms of social and racial justice, and that we can get back in back to putting in necessary environmental protections. 
Uh, I do want to make an announcement. Thank you for the text. Joe Biden was just declared the winner of the 2020 presidential election by several news outlets. I'm looking at CNN right now, 11.31 a.m., Saturday, November 7th. Joe Biden wins the presidential election. That's from CNN. Let's check some other news outlets now. NPR has him at 284. So Joe Biden, NPR calls that Biden wins the 2020 general election. New York Times is not calling it yet. Let's check Fox News, our good friends. Nope, Fox News has not called the race for Joe Biden yet, to my knowledge, on their webpage. So some outlets are calling as of 11.30 a.m. Saturday, November 7th, that Joe Biden is the president-elect for the 2020 general election. He will then oust President Donald Trump. Trump will then be the first president to serve one term since George Bush Sr. in the early 90s when he was defeated by Bill Clinton. Joe Biden then is now the president-elect Uh, I think it's safe to say people saw this coming. Uh, Joe Biden was projected to win the presidency based on polls. He also, um, people projected that, you know, when all the absentee ballots were counted that he would win. But I think the race was a lot closer than people thought it would be. I just wanted to interject that the New York Times also just called uh, for Joe Biden at 273, adding Pennsylvania. So, of course, once you get 270 electoral votes, then you are the president-elect. And, yes, with Pennsylvania, Joe Biden's now over the top. Uh, Nevada, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alaska have yet to be called, at least by the New York Times, where I'm looking right now at 11.33 a.m., Saturday, November 7th. Yeah, it looks but, like Fox News is the only major network not to have called it so far. <laughs> what a surprise. Even if let, let, even if Trump wins all of those states, he, he can't win the presidency based on the numbers. So with Pennsylvania and the other states he has, Joe Biden is the president-elect. Funnily enough, uh what you said just now, Jason, about Fox News not calling it yet. Um, it was it was a surprise to see them call Arizona so early on. Uh, some might say even prematurely, as there's still, I think, like 200,000 ballots that remain uncounted. And Joe Biden's lead is only around 40,000. Yeah, I'm not sure what was going on there. NPR called it, too. You know, Fox News. Uh, they were following the, the Associated Press. Right, yeah. So Arizona was called, but you know, New York Times hasn't called it. But, you know, Biden is still projected to win there, though his lead has shrunk. But, yeah, I mean, um, either way, Biden doesn't need Arizona. With Pennsylvania. Right, with Pennsylvania, he, he's won the election. Georgia, I can't, I can't believe Biden has a lead in Georgia. That's awesome. That's you. And yeah, there's my bias. You know, thanks, Democrats. <laughs> all for Democrats <laughs> compared to Republicans. But, um, yeah, so that, that's pretty great to see that turn blue. So Joe Biden, now we can officially say is the president elect. No more apparently, no more supposedly. Joe Biden is the president elect. This means that Democrats are slated to take the executive branch. Bye bye. So long, Donald Trump. We'll see if he leaves office peacefully. We'll see how much damage he will try to inflict on our country in the next three months. Uh, he's He's got, like, a television network lined up. He'll be fine. Right. Of course he'll be fine. Why wouldn't he be fine if he's a billionaire, right? If he's got all this money. Why wouldn't he be fine? He's going to spend the next four years complaining about how the election was stolen from him. Yeah. And, you know, four to five million people will tune in every week to hear that. So so, so here's the thing about our, our politics. So this election was, I think, a disaster for Democrats. The 2020 general election is a disaster for Democrats. 
Democrats will get the White House, which is huge. Don't get me wrong. Donald Trump should never have been elected president to begin with. He lost the popular vote in 2016. He had foreign powers on his behalf, spreading misinformation and disinformation to cause conflict within the U.S. and get people to want to, you know, to elect Trump. Uh, president Trump should never have been elected. Even if people had common sense, shouldn't have been elected. And I'm fine to say that. If you're a Trump supporter, get at me. I've talked to tons of Trump supporters. I get where you're coming from. Disagree with it. You know, give me a call, 585-219-8889. President Trump should never have been elected president. He's a one-term president now. We'll see what happens uh, if he gives up office peacefully. But his lasting effects on American politics, I think, will not be an anomaly. I think we will be living in a Trumpian world for quite some time. His assault on norms, his, uh, you know, spread of disinformation, lies, um, his weakening of America's prestige abroad, you know, our allies will not automatically come back to the U.S. in the same way they did. Our adversaries are stronger than ever. Have fun in the next hundred years living in, in China's world. And so this will be, you know, this is tough. So Democrats barely eke out a win in the presidency. Democrats lost seats in the House. Democrats are likely not to take the Senate. It was projected to be a blue wave. Democrats were projected to take the Senate. Democrats were expected to expand their their um, their size in the House. Democrats were expected to sweep the presidency. Democrats were expected, let's look up the states now, to flip state legislatures. That didn't happen either. Republicans are still in control of the majority of state legislatures across the country. Guess what, folks? It's 2020. That means Republican legislatures now are in charge of redistricting. So gerrymandering will continue to get worse. The Supreme Court, by the Republican majority, decided that, that the federal government had no role to say what gerrymandering can or can't happen. They turned it back over to the states. This was a disaster for Democrats in 2020. On the ballot, on the ballot is Donald Trump, right? Where America is uniquely facing devastation by COVID-19. More deaths than any other Western industrialized country. More confirmed 20% of the cases worldwide with 4% of the worldwide population. Yep. Unique American disaster for COVID-19. Donald Trump is a chronic liar. He's a, he's a reality TV star billionaire who inherited most of his money. He's a proto-fascist authoritarian wannabe, habitual liar, unique COVID-19 crisis, cratered economy, and he has no, Trump had no policy platform for the next four years. He, his, liter, his literal policy platform was make America great again again. That's a joke. That's an Onion article. That's John Stewart. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it was make America great again again. Actually, that's what I said. Yeah, it's literally that's like the, that's yeah. what that is what his platform. Make America great again again. That's literally a John Stewart sketch. Like if if there ever could be one, yeah. you know. And Democrats lost seats in the House, didn't flip states' legislatures, didn't take the Senate, barely squeaked out an election. And you know the whole point of the Joe Biden presidency well, was supposed to be that he's electable. Well, that's I think. Um, I think, like, this is something I wanted to bring up during our show, Jason, which was that um, I, it's still a little early, I think, to be making any uh, serious conclusions about, you know, who voted for who um, and what the demographic breakup was. Um, we won't know those numbers until, I think, a few months in the future. But 
from the data that we have seen so far, I think you we have seen Joe Biden carrying districts that have otherwise chosen to reelect Republican candidates or uh, uh, elect Republican candidates in, in favor of um, Democratic candidates. And I think that speaks to the idea that, um, you know, Joe Biden, uh, a lot of his campaign's outreach was directed at conservative voters who, you know, may not have liked Trump on a personal level, but had no problem with his policies. Right. So, and, and this is my problem, totally, Matt, is that the Democratic Party cannot be the old conservative party. What we're seeing is a rightward shift in our politics year after year. Now, that's not necessarily the case for some elements of social justice. Well, like Supreme Court decisions, I'm not talking about that. But overall, in terms of our rhetoric, in terms of the structure of our economy and the allocation of power within our economy between capital and labor, compared to the ability for normal, everyday working Americans to make ends meet, we are moving rightward every year. And the Democratic Party cannot be the party of republicanism in the 1980s. What what I'm worried about for Democrats is that they're saying, well, we got to, you know, we got to win over Republicans. And so let's do Republican things. And now the Republican Party, instead, instead of being, you know, what the, what the, well, we got to be Nazis. <laughs> yeah, we have to be not, we have to be fascists, right? And so what, what I'm worried about happening is that we will now in American politics oscillate every election between do you want a proto-fascist or do you want a Republican? Do you want a crazy neoliberal or do you want a crazy fascist? And that, and so here's my, here's my summation for Democrats. The whole reason that Joe Biden was supposed to, you know, the, the whole thing, this whole election for Democrats, we need someone who can beat Donald Trump. The whole thing. Who's the most electable candidate? We went through a primary with tons of candidates on the stage, 20 Democrats on the stage. And all of them ended up backing Biden. We know that Bernie Sanders had an alternative platform. They all backed Biden because they said he was the most electable. If you call beating Donald Trump by 4 million votes the most electable candidate, then the Demo I am scared as hell for the future of our country. If, if this is the result that we get as Democrats out of the most electable candidate, losing seats in the House, not taking the Senate, not flipping state legislatures, barely winning the White House, if this is what we get out of the most electable candidate, then what are we? What are we doing? I actually think that's a really good moment to look at what people are worried about for the future of our country. That was the last question that we asked on our survey. And in fact, one of the responses uh, is very similar to what you're saying. And they say, I'm worried that Trump may be gone, but his base remains a place for complete for a competent authoritarian to take Trump's place in 2024 or the relatively speaking near future, unless the Democratic Party can make significant changes in the next four years. As we've seen, you know, 70 million people still voted for Trump. 74 mi million people about have voted for Biden. That's going to continue to be an extremely divided country. And it looks like, I mean, we're not the only ones who are worried about this. We understand, our listeners understand that the Democratic Party has to make significant changes and hopefully not to the right. They right. need to make significant progressive changes in order to 
actually make strides in uh, in the future. Yep. So here it is, Mary. Thank you. Yeah. What the Democrats need to do is actually be progressive. Because you know what? I think people actually want progressivism. And by progressivism, I mean people want universal health care. Climate change they, is a thing that they're worried about. They want us to actually take action on climate change, which will literally kill people <laughs> soon. In mass quantities. In mass quantities. If not everyone. People want a, a better economic life where they are not constantly being subjugated to... Our economy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the economy sucks. Okay? People's... Lo- we don't add we um, the uh, Jason, you and I have, and Mary as well. We've talked on the show a lot, and that whenever we talk about the whenever in uh, during election cycles, when candidates talk about the economy, they always promise jobs, 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 more jobs, jobs. We don't ever ask ourselves questions like how much should people be working in a week? What should their what should their pay be like? You know what what are what are the sort of living standards that we're trying to reach for. We, we, we almost universally talk about unemployment as this black and white thing that, you know, if you have it, you're set. If you don't, well, we're going to give it to you. And and that's not enough. That's not enough because we have millions of people who are woke, who are working multiple jobs and they are struggling to get by. Some of them are not even getting by. Yep. And, Exactly, Matt. We have to be talking and asking ourselves the questions of, like, why am I working? You know, how much should I get paid? How often do I work? We don't have a material politics in the United States anymore. All we have is identity politics. All we have is culture politics. There's no actual material politics. The Democratic Party abandoned material politics in the 1970s, and Republicans thwacked them on it. You know, And ever since then, ever since then, we've been living in a Republican capitalist fantasy world where there's no material politics. We don't talk about wage or hours of work or well-being. We don't talk about human humanity. All we do is talk about profit and jobs and growth and strength. Those things have nothing to do with what it actually means to be a human being and live a life. The Democratic Party must talk to people's material needs. There was, a, there was a phone call among the Democratic House members after Democrats found out that they lost seats in the House. It was on with Nancy Pelosi. This was a private call. Reporters reported on it. And there were some moderate centrist Democrats on that call who said, we lost seats because someone talked about, because we were talking about socialism. We got painted as socialists. We should never talk about socialism again. That is the exact wrong thing to do for Democrats. Democrats must embrace economic populism and human material politics. They must. There is no alternative. Otherwise, we live in this crazy world of oscillating between neoliberal candidates like Joe Biden or fascist candidates like Donald Trump. I think um, part of the reason why Democrats, uh, at least mainstream centrist Democrats, are so scared of being labeled as socialists is because of the something that you have some firsthand experience with, Jason, in that um, we've talked before on the show about how Jason and I like to play video games a lot. Jason, uh, in the over the past few weeks, has been 
playing a lot of multiplayer games in which he has been asking the people he plays with, you know, strangers that he doesn't exactly know, you know, what their voting plans are and why they are. And Jason, you've had discussions with people about economic socialism, and the the main responses are always something along the lines of, that's crazy, that will just turn us into Russia or China, and it'll never work. And I think that the idea that it won't work is very widespread, and I think part of the reason why it is widespread is that it's been so long since we've, since we've had a real like populist labor movement in this country, and so it's almost impossible to imagine for people who have never lived with that, never had that experience of seeing that. You know, it's been, like you said, Jason, it's been like 50 years at this point since labor has had a seat at the table. Yep, absolutely. I. This is for everyone out there right now. How often in a day, in a week, let's say in a week, how often in a week are you having actual discussions with people who politically disagree with you? How often? How often are you talking to people who voted for Donald Trump, if you're a Democrat, or vice versa? How often are you actually talking with them in a real conversation that's not about memes or being edgy or trolling each other? How often are you actually talking to people who disagree with you? Probably not often. We have to start talking. And I am not talking about meeting in the middle. I am not talking about acquiescing to both sides. There is no both sides when it comes to racism or Donald Trump's antics or behaviors. There's no both sides. But there there can be a both sides of economics. That is the key. Economics must be the wedge, the carrot, and the stick that we use. I am committing myself now for the next four years of this Biden presidency, which will be a disaster, by the way, unless, 20, unless 2022 happens differently. Joe Biden has been denied the ability to govern. Mitch McConnell will deny the ability for Democrats to do anything substantive. We are going right back to what it was like in the Obama presidency, where essentially nothing happened after 2010 because Democrats lost the legislative branch. Mitch McConnell will allow nothing to happen. And even if something does pass, the conservative Supreme Court will strike it down. Joe Biden does not have a mandate to govern. We're going to go into at least two years of Democratic gridlock. Instead of me being angry about it and, you know, and complaining on the radio show and hoping to convince people, I am committing myself for the next two years at least to get involved locally in pro-labor movements and pro-economic populist movements because that is the key. And I don't have the ability to change, you know, um, everyone's mind or whatever. I talk to Trumpers all the time online in real conversations, you know, as it were, I, I genuinely ask them like, why do you support Donald Trump? Why do you do this? And, and you know, when you, when you, um, weasel out those who are blatantly racist, you know, people who are not great human beings, when you weasel those people out, you're left with a majority of people who think that Trump is actually meeting their material needs. They voted for Donald Trump because Donald Trump, they think, offers them something that makes their lives better. Did people vote for Joe Biden because they thought he makes their lives better, or did they vote for Joe Biden because he ain't Trump? I think I, I saw a survey recently, uh, or a study that came out, that said that what you, how you think the economy is doing depends a lot on... Uh, if the party that is in charge of the executive branch is the party that you support. 
And I think that explains why so many people, you know, <laughs> who supported Donald Trump thought the economy was doing so much better after Obama left the White House, even yeah. though it was the same economy. And that's why so many people who supported Donald Trump will be <laughs> saying the economy is in shambles after Joe Biden takes the White House, even though it will be the same economy. Yeah. Well, it's the point I brought up earlier with people short-term thinking about the economy, you know. I mean, the economy that we're living in now is not Joe Biden's fault, nor is it alone Trump's fault, right? But the economy is fundamentally broken because it doesn't prioritize people. And you ask me, how is it broken, Jason? You know, if, if you're one of the lucky ones to not have to, to worry about, you know, food, clothing, shelter, or if you have to go to the hospital, that you're not going to go into bankruptcy. If you're one of the folks out there who has a house, has a car, you have a job, how is the economy bad? You made it. This is what life is supposed to be. How secure? I would ask you, how secure do you feel? Well, to make an answer to that probably rhetorical question, many of our listeners in the like worried question, when we asked what they were worried about, many, many people responded without joking that they are worried about civil war. And to take a quick quote from one of the responses, Biden winning the presidency is nice, but it's apparent that 2016 was not just a fluke or a bad candidate or a bad campaign. There are truly two different Americas totally at odds with each other. As you're saying, this is impossible to govern. And the fact that many of our respondents, not just one, not just two, but many are actually legitimately concerned that there is a civil war is a testament to how badly we can't communicate right now. Yep. It's like that and the pandemic are the two major themes for what people are worried about. Right. Thank you, Mary, for getting us back on track with the That's survey. That's what I've been trying to do for, for 10 minutes. Uh, but so for all, <laughs> for all those 34 of you who responded to our survey via our radio EOD handles on Twitter or Facebook, thank you so much for responding. You can blame the blame on Jason Taylor on Evidence of Design for not prioritizing your feedback where I've prioritized mine. But thank you so much. Um, so, you know, um, Yes, uh, you know, I, I'm. I don't know if I'm worried about civil war. I'm, I'm worried about the continued breakdown of our institutions. And a lot of folks did say in their responses, you know, what are you worried about? That you know, great, Biden winning the presidency was cool, uh, but we have much more structural issues going on. You know, I'm worried. I'm continually worried about further degradation of humanism. I'm continually worried about the state of, uh, you know, income inequality. I'm continually worried about COVID-19. I'm continually worried about the breakdown of norms and people being unable to talk to each other. So, I, you know, to end on a positive note, I, here's two things I've recommitted to myself. I will continue to try to talk to people who politically disagree with me, Trump supporters, anyone who doesn't, Democrats, right? <laughs> Fellow Democrats who do not believe in economic populism. And when I talk to those people, I am not going to try to be edgy or troll or find a way to have a meme out of it. I'm going to try to convince them why my way of living is better than theirs. Why not even that? It's not about beating them. Why my way of living would benefit us all, right? Whenever I talk to people about this and they, you know, I'm like, all I'm trying to do is fight for you to have guaranteed health care. And you can't debate that, right? Who's going to call you out? No, don't give me health care. All I'm trying to do is give you universal basic income like me. That's what I'm going to try to do is keep pushing that message. Talk to people who you politically disagree with and have a real honest conversation with them. If they are racist, you do not need to talk with them. You can tell them they're bad for being racist, and then you move on, right? You don't have to go as low as that. 
for the people out there who are actually racists and bad people and KKK and whatever else, don't don't engage with them. And by the same measure, I think we need on the left we need to do a better job of writing off all Trump supporters as racist. Yeah, it's true that Donald Trump was the racist candidate in this election, just like he was in the last one. It's true that the racist people in our country voted for Donald Trump overwhelmingly, but it's not it's it's the same behavior as Republicans just. Uh, associating socialism with authoritarianism and writing off Democrats as a bunch of socialists. We need to be better about actually engaging with people who can be persuaded, who can be who can be shown a different path. Right. So I'm going to continue to engage with people in a legitimate way for those who disagree with me, and I'm going to continue to advocate for progressive material human policies, things that benefit humans materially. I'm going to advocate locally for universal basic income, for housing as a human right, and for universal health care. Those are good things I think we should fight for. And guess what? I think the Democrats would win a lot more elections better off if they actually advocated for progressive, material, human policies. We know the Republican Party ain't doing it. But we can. So there's a 2020 general election. Throughout the hour, Joe Biden was considered or was just announced as president-elect, defeating Donald Trump in the 2020 general election. I believe even Fox is calling it now just to put the end of our show on an interesting note. Great. Exciting that we got to announce that on the air. Yes. Thank you all for tuning in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. This was Evidence of Design. Thank you for tuning in to your local grassroots community radio station. We're going to have to organize a lot more locally on the grassroots level. Politics don't stop, folks. Let's, Let's get involved. Let's make the world a better place. I was Jason Taylor, your host, joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell. Hopeful as always. And Mary Lawrence. Uh, Thanks to all our listeners who filled out that survey. Yes, thank you all for participating. Stay in touch with us at Radio EOD or find our uh, podcast or find our episodes anywhere and anywhere you get your podcast, Evidence of Design. Until next time, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.